0: Welcome to The God God. Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Kevin Atkinson. And we will be interviewing Dr. Daniel Wallace this morning. Dr. Daniel Wallace has been a professor of the New Testament at Dallas Theological Seminary for nearly 30 years. He's the executive director of the Center for the Study of the New Testament Documents. He's written a ton of books. I would encourage you to go to Amazon.com and see some of those. You can also find out more about Dr. Wallace at dts.edu under the faculty website and at danielbwallace.com. You can also find out more about his organization at csntm.org or friendsofcsntm.org. I would encourage you to check out both. Well, anyway, today's going to be an exciting interview with Dr. Wallace. I'm glad you're tuned in. Well, welcome to The God Solution, Dr. Wallace. Thank you. I'm I'm delighted to be on the show, Nate. <laughs> we're so glad you're on the show this morning. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Well,
1: it's an interesting story. I I grew up uh in a in a Baptist church, and uh, I have an older brother, a younger sister, my folks are Christians and their parents were all Christians. When I was 4 years old, I went to Vacation Bible School, my my older brother uh, after vacation Bible school, that the teacher actually talked to us about hell. I'm four years old, and the teacher's telling us about hell. And afterwards, I, I, I said to my brother, I said, Wally, I don't want to go there. What do I need to do? And he said, well, you got to believe in Jesus. So he shared the gospel with me. He's five and a half years old. And I believe that it was at that point that I put my faith in Christ. But it was not a real deep and penetrating faith. And uh, years later, when I was 16, I rededicated my life to Christ, and uh, I had I, I'd say it wasn't a conversion experience because I was already saved, but it was a, a very powerful time where I, I went to uh, what's called a Ralph Wilkerson rally. It was at Melody Land in Anaheim, California, and Ralph Wilkerson was one of these big uh, uh, evangelists who uh, did a lot of work with uh, street gangs and things. And there were about 5,000 people at this uh, convention. And I was 16 years old, having girlfriend problems, uh, as all 16-year-old boys do, <laughs> uh, wrestling with a, a number of existential crises in my own life. You know, I mean, again, at the age where everything is a, a big problem. And um, I hear the the preacher, and I, I was getting mad at some of the things he said. And he said, "I'm going to get out of my seat and give him a piece of my mind." So he has an altar call, and people were coming forward, and I got up out of my seat to tell them, I disagree with this point and this point. And as I got up, um, I got a sense from the Spirit of God, this is not why you're going down there. You're going down there to repent of your sins and to commit your life to Jesus Christ. I never heard anything audibly. Wow. But uh, I thought, oh, my gosh, yes, that's exactly what I'm going down here. I've got some problems in my own life that I need to deal with. So I, I went down there and five about 500 people go on the stage and wilkerson comes up to me first with a microphone in hand and says young man why would you come here and all i can tell you is i'm really glad the holy spirit got a hold of my life before i answered that question <laughs> it wow. would have been an embarrassing time yeah. so um it was at that point it was january 6 1969 wow. that i made a, a radical commitment to christ and i decided from that day forward all I'm going to do for the rest of my life is full-time Christian vocational ministry.
0: Wow. And And I know that's
1: all I've prepared for, so. Wow.
0: And I know you've been a pastor and you're a world-renowned researcher in this field. You definitely have done that. So how did you develop an interest specifically in the New Testament documents and in this particular field?
1: Well, uh, it it follows right on the heels of uh, that experience I had when I was 16. I... Uh, I the first thing I did is I, I decided I wanted to uh, share the gospel with people a whole lot more. And I met a fellow by the name of Brother Andrew in mm-hmm. uh, Southern California. He had a real estate office. He had a huge sign over his office that said, Jesus saves. And so I said, okay, let me go and talk to this guy. And uh, he would sell me New Testaments. It was just uh, today's English version, the TEV. Uh, and uh, they were paperback, and I'd buy them by the box load and get them for a quarter apiece. And I would drive up and down Coast Highway, picking up hitchhikers, sharing the gospel with them, and give them a New Testament. And about every (laughs) three or four weeks, I'd come back to see Brother Andrew and get more New Testaments and share the gospel with others. There's nothing like sharing the gospel to get you to think about what you really believe and wrestle with the issues, because non-Christians raise very legitimate and important questions. But what was most interesting was Brother Andrew himself. He was not a Christian. Uh, He was uh, an Arian, somebody who does not believe in the deity of Christ, uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups. But he was not a Jehovah's Witness. And so he kept challenging me every week, says, yes, but look at what it says here. Look at what it says in this place about who Jesus is. And I began to to get troubled by this, thinking, if I'm going to commit my life to Jesus Christ, I want to make sure he's really worth it and so i felt i've got to get into what the greek new testament says since the english translations are different and i was reading through my new testament every single week Uh, i did that for several months and uh... so i'm getting them from brother andrew having questions about who is this jesus i want to know and i want to know what the manuscripts say and what the greek new testament says so i i went off to college went to biola university and In 1971, I took my first course in Greek from Dr. Harry Sturz, and Sturz was a world-class textual scholar, and I got into textual criticism by studying with him, so that was 43 years ago, and uh, it it was because of my challenge to my faith that I wanted to know what does the Greek New Testament say and what do the Greek manuscripts say, and so that's really driven my entire career, really, that that, uh, early experience.
0: Quite a story, and it's amazing to see how God was leading you in that direction from that young age in Christ. So tell me about the Center for the Study of New Testament Documents, or Manuscripts, I should say. What is it? What is your mission? What have you accomplished so far? And what are you hoping to do in the coming years?
1: Well, the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts, uh, which is a real mouthful, but I think people can remember uh, the initials and the website Uh, this way. If you simply remember C.S. as in C.S. Lewis, and uh, most Christians are going to know who that is, and I hope your non-Christian audience will uh, probably look him up because he's a very important figure. And uh, so that's the first two letters, C.S. If they've ever watched The Wizard of Oz, everybody knows who M is. So all you need to remember is C.S. M. And you've got the initials for the organization, (laughs) C.S.N.T.M. dot org. So I tell people that, and they, you know, it's, it's, it's silly, it's stupid, but they won't forget. And uh, it's, a, it's a non-profit organization that I founded 12 years ago uh, in 2002 for the initial purpose of digitizing every single Greek New Testament manuscript in the world.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, we have over 5,800 of them, 2.6 million pages of New Testament manuscripts to digitize. And our objective is to make these images available to scholars so that they can examine them in great detail. And ultimately, what all of us are trying to do is recover the exact wording of the original New Testament as exactly as uh, human beings can do. And the only way we can do this is by comparing these manuscripts. But up until CSNTM existed, uh, there was really no place to go to see manuscript images Uh, and and, uh, get this kind of work done on the Internet. Uh, There was an institute in Germany that scholars would have to go to to look at microfilms. They still exist. They're very, very important. But uh, CSNTM got the ball rolling by getting these digital images out there. Now there's some other institutes that are doing a little bit of what we're doing, but we're far and away the the leader in this. We have digitized more Greek New Testament manuscripts than any other institute in the world, and we have, I think, over 300,000 images on
0: our uh, website wow so how can people get involved well
1: if if they go to the website they can see uh, a number of different things you can read about expeditions uh, you can look look at our showroom you can see uh, go to the manuscripts page and you see hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts and uh, uh, just, just see what, what uh, we've got there but there's also um, A resources page where they can go to the store and there's books on textual criticism and all sorts of areas related to the New Testament that we recommend people buy it's actually through Amazon but we're just kinda giving some recommendations but if someone wants to contribute to the work of CSNTM they should go to our website and then there's a link called donations so CSNTM.org slash donations and we rely on private donations in order to Accomplish this work of digitizing these manuscripts it costs an average of six dollars to photograph one page of a manuscript and uh, That may sound cheap, but when you think that there's 2.6 million pages of text. It's it's a lot of money and uh, and Some people may say well that sounds really expensive well Mm -hmm. if you realize We bring about a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment with us when we go to these sites all over the world there's more than 250 different sites throughout the world that have these manuscripts. Uh, then you can understand why it costs at least six bucks a page uh, to shoot these. But we we need uh, a lot of support. We've got some incredible expeditions coming up that I'm not yet allowed to talk about where we're going. But we just got some word recently about a, a major national library in Europe that we'll be shooting the manuscripts at. This is very exciting, uh, but it's it it takes a lot of funding for us to get this job done, and our goal is always to make these images free uh, on the internet for everyone, free forever. That's that's our objective.
0: What a great deal! So that's csntm.org again, csntm.org, and I'm just going to say it on the air, and I'm going to encourage the listeners to follow suit. I'll go ahead and make a donation today, and if you're listening. I would encourage all of you to follow suit. I mean, I could hardly think of a better way to spend a few bucks than preserving the New Testament for generations to come. What a great, great deal. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and org online. We're talking with Dr. Daniel Wallace about the New Testament documents. So on that note, do you think uh, that any of the scribes manipulated or changed the documents in such a way that make it so we can't recover the original text of the new testament
1: well i'd say uh that uh the shorter answer is no they did not Uh, but there's a a couple of ways to to demonstrate this and we don't have absolute certainty that we uh, can recover the exact wording of the original text or that we have it somewhere among, among the manuscripts but we have a pretty high degree of probability that that's the case uh, let me uh, illustrate it this way when you compare the new testament manuscripts to the average greco-roman manuscript classical text in, in greek or or in latin uh, what you're comparing is a, a huge difference in the number of manuscripts and the date of the manuscripts the average greco-roman author has fewer than 20 copies of his writings still in existence today. 20 copies. And that's really actually a very high uh, estimate. Most of them have two or three, four or five, something like that. But I I typically use the number 20 when I debate uh, skeptics on these things, and and they've never disputed it. The New Testament, by comparison, has almost 6,000 copies of the New Testament in Greek alone. And we're, we're comparing apples with apples. We're talking about the copies in any language and these, you know, the average Greek author has less than 20 copies. We've got almost 6,000 in Greek alone, plus uh, 10,000 plus in Latin, as well as other ancient languages, uh, Coptic, Syriac, Georgian, Gothic, Armenian, all sorts of languages. And uh, those are another 15 or 20,000. So we've got somewhere between 20 and 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament that are handwritten manuscripts before the time of the printing press, and you compare that to 20 manuscripts of the classical author. That means we've got, on average, more than a 1,000 times more manuscripts for the New Testament than the average classical author has. That's wow. just stunning. Wow. You stack them up, that classical text would be about 4 feet high. The New Testament manuscripts would be my best estimates are it would be over 6,600 feet high, so well over a mile high, about a mile and a quarter high of manuscripts. And now, in terms of the date of the manuscripts, you're waiting at least half a millennium, over 500 years, before you get any manuscripts for, for most classical authors, 500 years before we get our earliest ones. For the New Testament, we're waiting decades, decades, not centuries, not half a millennium, but maybe two or three decades, maybe four decades. Our earliest New Testament manuscript that's been published so far is called P52. It's a small fragment of John's Gospel discovered in 1934, and it's about the size of a credit card. But this particular manuscript uh, sent two tons of European scholarship to the flames. In 1844, 90 years before it was published, a German scholar uh, did some fancy philosophical argumentation to say that John's Gospel cannot be dated any earlier than AD 160, and he felt it was closer to AD 170. Well, that held sway for most of European scholarship for the next 90 years. At least that John's Gospel must be a second century document, whether it's quite that late, they weren't sure but that also meant, therefore, it's not historically reliable because there's nothing of any eyewitness value in this. And then 90 years later, 1934, a fellow by the name of C.H. Roberts discovers this small fragment from John's Gospel, and uh, he was a, a new, newly minted Ph.D. He had just earned his doctorate, and he sent photographs of that manuscript to the three leading papyrologists or papyrus scholars in Europe. Each one wrote back to him independently and said, this manuscript should not be dated any later than A.D. 150, and probably closer to A.D. 100. All three of them said that. A fourth demurred, and he said, no, I I think maybe it should be dated as early as the 90s. Well, today, most scholars would say John's Gospel was written in the 90s. And so if you have a copy of John's Gospel written in the 90s, then it's, you know, first-generation copy. It's, It's incredible. But regardless, the fact is that uh, here you have a copy of John's Gospel that is earlier than the date that this uh, European scholar had, 90 years earlier than this, said that's when the original was dated. So he argues, you know, A.D. 170, if a copy is made in 150, it's kind of hard to have the original come 20 years later, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh this is the kind of a thing that we're looking at, and these kinds of stories get duplicated over and over again. We have as many as a dozen New Testament manuscripts, all fragmentary, from the second century, from between A.D. 100 and 200. By the time we get to 500, we've got well over 100 manuscripts. The New Testament duplicated many times over, and yet you compare that to the average classical text, we've got nothing. So just by those comparisons, you'd say, if we, ca- if we can't recover the original of the New Testament, if we're going to be skeptical about that, we have to be, on average, a thousand times more skeptical for the average classical text. So that's just a comparative uh, uh, issue. But let me give a couple other pieces of evidence. Or let me see, do you have any questions on that to follow up so um, we can discuss that? Then I'll give a couple of other pieces of evidence to think about this.
0: I do have a quick question. You keep saying mm-hmm. classical texts and New Testament texts. Uh, could you explain the difference there?
1: By classical texts, we're talking about, I, I'm using the term pretty broadly. It can be somebody all the way back to Homer who's writing in probably the 8th century B.C. Uh, all the way up into the time of the New Testament, where really that's called uh, not the classical text, but the Hellenistic era. But uh, Pliny the Elder, who's a, a historian, first century historian, we've got uh, a very important historian. We've got 200 copies of his manuscripts, but we're waiting 700 years before we get a single one. You know, we've got Josephus, who's another first century uh, Jewish historian, and we've got, uh, I think, 20 copies of his Antiquities of the Jews, one of the most important writings. In fact, it's the most important book for us to fill in the gap between A.D. 30 and you know A.D. 100, right around there. What he's writing about uh, as to what's going on with uh, the Jews in relationship to Rome. It talks about the uh, the war between Jerusalem and Rome, and, and how Titus invaded uh, Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and all the rest of this. Those are the kinds of authors. You know, you're also talking about Plato's Republic and uh, Xenophon's uh, Anabasis and things like that. So there's ancient writings, classical Greek writers uh, and historians, uh, Thucydides and Herodotus and, you know, the basic historians for uh, Julius Caesar, Livy, Suetonius, Tacitus, the the Latin authors. So that's what I'm talking about. We have hundreds of these uh, writers whose uh, literary remains are still with us but we're waiting so long to get so many of them most of them we're waiting usually about a millennium before we see a single manuscript and uh, so the New Testament is in 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 that in that kind of area that is it's that kind of literature and yet it shines so much greater than any of the rest of these it's just it's called an embarrassment of riches that we have for the New wow. Testament well what the classical scholars are dealing with is a dearth of evidence
0: we had a very secular professor on the campus here who definitely mm-hmm. was not a Christian and was outspoken about not being a Christian. But at the same time, as a history professor, he would tell his students some of what you just said and tell them that if you don't accept the Bible, you have to throw out all other history up until the Middle Ages. And I had Christian students, I had a one one guy, for example, that I led to Christ and was working with, and he comes and he starts going through the numbers of documents and, you know, the how close they were to the original, some of what you just shared. And I said, so where would you get your hands on Josh McDowell? And he goes, who's Josh McDowell? He goes, I heard all this in class today. <laughs> I wow. said, you've got That's to be terrific. kidding me. And so this professor, even though he was not a Christian, he was willing to say what was true about the New Testament documents. I actually uh, had a chance to thank him for that one time. And he said, well, there's nothing to thank me for. I'm just saying the way it is. And I thought, man, that's refreshing. You don't encounter that all that often.
1: That is refreshing. It's it's very honest of him to admit that if we're going to be skeptical about the New Testament, it has to be multiplied about a thousandfold for the average classical text. Yeah. And that's been kind of one of the basic points I've raised when I've debated skeptics. But there's there's more evidence, too, and that is... When you think about, okay, this is just a comparison, and people like Bart Ehrman, this is one of the, the mistakes he made in, in one of our debates. He said, well, yeah, I think we do need to be skeptical about these other texts. Well, you look at any of Ehrman's writings where he interacts with these classical authors, especially the historians, and he just assumes that what we have today is what they wrote back then. He doesn't deal with the text-critical problems. but um, So I, I think he's being disingenuous along those lines. But here's, here's another thing to consider. In the last 150 years, uh, New Testament papyri have been discovered, ancient papyri of, of all sorts of texts have been discovered. Uh, we have over, uh, well over a million papyrus manuscripts of all sorts that have been uh, excavated in Egypt, starting at uh, the end of the 19th century for the most part, and uh, there, there, uh, many of them are at Oxford University, a Vienna National uh, Library, places like that but uh, Duke University has some, uh, so does University of Michigan. And you've got over a million of these. And when they started to get discovered, here's what was found about it. these: These were found in ancient garbage heaps and in mummy uh, cases and this kind of thing. Uh, these were manuscripts that were written on this this ancient paper called Papyrus, which has kind of the consistency of a, of a paper grocery bag. It's actually more durable than paper. And in dry climates like Egypt, uh, so much of this, uh, especially if it was found above the water table, would be preserved. So you've got stuff that's a couple thousand years old. And uh, 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 most of these are just uh, receipts or a letter from a father to a son in a field while, he, while he's fighting someplace or just the mundane, everyday business things of people who are, you know, it was sticky notes, basically. That's what most of these papyri are. They're, they just They don't amount to much. But among them were a number of copies of ancient texts, including the New Testament. And these became far away our earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. We have to date approximately 129 of them, and I'm saying approximately because there's going to be more that will be published soon. But 129 New Testament papyrus, so it's, it's like looking for the proverbial needle in the haystack. And uh, because if you got over a million copies or a million manuscripts and only 129 New Testament, it's real rare to find those. But what we've discovered about them is these are our earliest witnesses, uh, many of which go back to the 2nd century, a lot or 3rd century. Uh, the, the majority of them are 4th century or earlier. And our regular parchment manuscripts... Uh, We start seeing those in numbers in the 4th century, and then they extend beyond that, so then, that's what the majority of our New Testament manuscripts are. But here's the point. In those last 150 years, we've found all these manuscripts that are early, uh, many of which are not written by professional scribes. They're just written on a papyrus. And if there's any way that you could say, you know, the original text has been changed by scribes uh, who who buried the original wording and they've manipulated it so you get a different picture of Jesus than what the the uh, New Testament authors actually presented these papyri would reveal that and that's because there's there were there were no controls over it wasn't done by uh, a, a copying center that said here's how you must copy out the manuscripts there was just people making copies of the New Testament with different agendas by the way different beliefs about the New Testament and yet they don't say things that are different in the essence of the Christian faith. There's not a single place in any of these papyri where we can say, hey, here's a scribe who actually is saying Jesus is not God. You don't ever get him to do that. Uh, and, And the reason is very simple, and that's because from the very beginning, that's what the New Testament said, that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. He died on the cross for us. He rose from the dead. These papyri don't change any of that.
0: That makes sense? It makes great sense. That's that's exciting to hear. I'd never heard that before. So I am excited about that. And I know that I'm imagining out of all those million plus papyri, there are probably more to be found, correct? More of these. I am quite sure
1: of it. In '99, <laughs> we found seventeen more that were sitting uh, at Oxford University, the Ashmolean Museum. It's a matter of not having enough workers to work in this field to discover more. But uh, just to, I'm going to put in this plug for CSNTM, too. Uh, in 2013 and 2014, we digitized the oldest manuscript of Paul's letters known as P46. Uh, most of it is at uh, the Chester Beatty Library in Dublin, and the rest of it is at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And uh, we had a team of uh, uh, scholars that went to, to digitize those manuscripts, and we're going to be getting it published. Uh, but these digital photographs of this manuscript, it's the oldest manuscript of Paul, dated about AD 200. It's got nine of Paul's letters still, and most of the original text is still there. Wow. Uh, Eighty-six leaves out of the an original 104. It's just very exciting, and to get these digital images where we can see so much more of the text than could ever have been seen before, this is really exciting that stuff. That is really
0: exciting. Wow. So there was an atheist-leaning professor who I love dearly. and. I took a few classes with him many years ago, and he, we were in a bit of a book war once. And I gave him "Contending with Christianity's Critics," which is something that you contributed to, and mm-hmm. he gave me one of Ehrman's books. And one of the quotes that you mentioned, I think, in your essay in that book, was Ehrman does a good job of convincing lay people. He is really quite the author, and does a good job of coming across as Authentic and genuine but I think you put it something like he's not doing quite as good a job of convincing the scholars in the field or something like that I forget exactly the wording but it really stuck with me as far as an analysis of of Ehrman's work as a whole you've debated Ehrman on numerous occasions and you even participated in this back-and-forth book with him how would you summarize his work what are some of the major mistakes he's making
1: well, first of all, I've known Bart Ehrman for 32 years. Uh, we've worked on projects together. He's been the editor uh, for articles that I've written in, in uh, books and uh, major publications, this kind of thing. Uh, he, hes hes uh, I think he's a terrific scholar. Uh, I think he has produced a, a lot of very good work. He's got terrific credentials. He studied under Bruce Metzger at Princeton Seminary. And at the same time, Sometimes his popular work, well, especially his popular work, uh, gets overstated, and he's incautious about a number of statements. And even his academic work is overstated as well, especially when he's dealing with issues related to the
0: Christian faith. Well, thanks so much for listening this morning. Do not miss next week's show, which will be the second part of our interview with Dr. Wallace. It'll be really exciting to hear what else he has to say. I hope that you are encouraged about some of the reasons that we can have confidence in the New Testament documents and the reliability of God's word, the Bible. Again, the main message of the Bible is that God loves you and me, even though we are sinners that don't deserve his love. He died on the cross. Jesus, God in human flesh, died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and yours so that whoever puts their faith and trust in him could be adopted into his family, receiving a gift of salvation and forgiveness. I hope that if you haven't ever done that before, that you'll take that step this morning, putting your faith and your trust in him. Go to godsolutionshow.com to see a list of local churches that you could visit this morning. An open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.